When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up? Happy uh, 4th of July weekend. I'm sure a lot of you listening on your road somewhere. Uh, a little special podcast for you. We're trying to fill up your feed so that you guys have stuff to listen to as you are on the road. And I got about 30 minutes with Nate Schmidt. He is the new assistant coach for... Uh, Iowa State basketball was hired about a month ago. And uh, this really, I want to make sure that you guys understand the point of this podcast is so you guys can learn more about these guys. There's going to be plenty of time to go player by player and break down the roster here as we get closer to the season. Um, Schmitty has a really interesting story. Uh, It's actually quite common in this field. Uh, to see a guy walk his way up the ladder like Schmidty did, uh, but it leads him back to Iowa State where he has a ton of ties and he's just a great fit for this position. I think you guys will really like him and uh, appreciate his story. Before we do that, I do want to thank our sponsor, Centurion Stone of Iowa. Here's the thing I didn't know, and I'm an idiot. I don't, I'm not like a decor guy that much. I kind of thought to have like a stone fireplace or that you needed to do that when you built your house to make it look. That's not true at all. I had Centurion Stone of Iowa come in this last winter and our house that was built in 2005, it's as cookie cutter as they get and they made it look absolutely beautiful. It's like an entirely different living room that we have now, all for a really affordable price. It completely changed our home. Go to centurionstoneofiowa.com and check them out. They've got um, just all sorts of different types of stone, colors, uh, beautiful showroom in Ankeny, also in Omaha now. But go to centurionstoneofiowa.com. Check them out. Again, I had them in my home last winter. Uh, Really great decision. Glad the wife and I did that. It looks beautiful. Centurionstoneofiowa.com. All right, here we go. Nate Schmidt, new assistant coach for TJ Otzberg at Iowa State Basketball. Here he is on the Psych One Fanatic podcast. All right, well, th- this is cool because I like seeing good things happen to good people in this business. And a guy I've known for a while now, Nate Schmidt, is the new assistant coach on TJ Otzelberger's staff at Iowa State. And I can honestly say, Nate, I, I knew you and you were just getting into the business when you were one of those guys grinding. I know you still are, but it's uh, I remember when you – when TJ first introduced me to you, and it's been fun to watch you grow into this role. So I guess we'll start there. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was just a 
a GA fresh out of college, trying to figure out what college basketball was and, and how I could move up and, you know, be impactful in a program. So, uh, but appreciate you having me on, man. Well, it's good. And I, I think fans will really like to get to know you a little bit here. We have some, a little bit of crossover with our backgrounds as well that I think will be fun to talk about. So let, let's start where you're a Michigan guy, correct? Like that, that's where you come from. And really the whole start with you comes at Romulus high school. If I'm correct, now you, you correct me if I'm wrong yeah. here, but I was Nate Oates, the guy who got you in the, the, for those listening, he's the current Alabama coach. Um, yep. One at Buffalo. Uh, and then he was I. He coached a lot of guys who have come through Iowa State or have had. Is he the guy who kind of got you into all of this? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I guess I'll make a long story somewhat short. I I went to Denison University Division Three, stopped playing after my first year. Um, but during that first year, I emailed some coaches back in Michigan because I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to stay in basketball. And, and Oates was one of the guys that I reached out to and connected with. And uh, I went to a couple of his practices and then finally he just said, no, what are you, what are you doing sitting over there taking notes, like jump on the court and help us with workouts. So he was definitely, I worked for him for two years at Romulus and he was definitely the, the connector. And we had a conversation when I first got hired and, and I had no idea what, you know, what the steps were to, I guess, get into coaching college basketball, especially at this level. Um, you know, I didn't know what the process was. So he definitely kind of helped show me the ropes and, and kind of guided me to, Hey, a, a great first job would be a graduate assistant. And, you know, we had Charlie Henry who worked for Oates as well, mm-hmm. uh, years before I was there. Um, so I didn't know, I knew who Charlie was. I didn't have, you know, I didn't, I never worked with him at Romulus. Obviously I got to know him over our time, uh, with me working at Romulus, uh, and when he was up here. Um, but yeah, Oates was the one that kind of connected everyone for me. It's, it's just crazy how small of a world it was. Cause I got connected to Oates through TJ back in 2009, I think, um, eight, 2009. And that was when Dominic Buckley was coming. Now it would have been earlier than that. It would have been like, Oh six, something like that. I got to know Oates really well. And then while Clyburn goes to that program, um, yeah. Oates um, is a really good dude. That I, I think it's awesome that you kind of come from from that lineage. Yeah, and then Charlie comes. Charlie moves in with TJ when TJ and I were pretty good friends. So I got to know uh, Charlie really well. And, and here you come. So that that's basically how your career starts. You you decide you're not going to play anymore. You want to focus on coaching. You send out some emails. Bada boom. You land on a guy's staff that you know is going to turn into one of the better coaches in college basketball. Did you sense that in Nate at the time? Like, could you tell he was kind of special? Yeah. I mean, I, obviously like I played at Ann Arbor Huron, so we never really played Romulus. They were kind of a level above us when Michigan high school basketball, but um, obviously I had known how, how good they were and how many division one players they had produced. And I think that's what kind of drew me is they'd always been a highly successful program. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, wanted to work with really good players and work for a really good coach. And I got extremely lucky that Oates was open to making it work. Uh, cause I was still a, a college student at Denison and I was driving back and forth and I was spending every single day of my summer of my spring break of my winter break, uh, every weekend during the season, I was always driving up to Michigan from Ohio. Um, so I got fortunate that Oates, you know, he made it work and, you know, I was very lucky for that. And, um, but you know, you, you could kind of feel working for him. Like he ran Romulus, like a division one program. And mm-hmm. 
I, I feel that now I, at the time I was like, man, this is awesome. Like we do strength and conditioning. We do extra morning shooting. We have six shooting machines. We, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And, and then once you got into a college program, you're like, man, we're, we're, that was a high level high school program right there that Oates was running. Pretty cool. So you, you went from there to Iowa state is the GA, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And, and that was what year? That would have been uh, twenty off season twenty fourteen. So twenty fourteen fifteen was my first year at Iowa State. Okay, and then um, you, you spend your time there, uh, make all the Iowa State connections, and that was when you went and took a job at Indian Hill. So you got some JUCO, um, you got some JUCO running through your blood as well, which I don't think a lot of people know that you spent some time at one of the best you know JUCO programs in the country. Yeah, no, and, and I had talked with with Coach TJ and, and Coach Robinson a, a bunch, kind of when I was getting done with my um, GA and, you know, I've my third year here, I was technically coordinator of player development. Um, so it was a little bit of full-time, full-time job, a little more pay. Um, but it was kind of a, you know, I knew I was going to have to find a job and kind of move on and, and figure out something after that. So I talked with uh, coach TJ, coach D Rob and Micah a good amount, just about like what that next step would be. And they all kind of, had been at the JUCO level and had had a great experience. And, you know, I think for me, it was part of it was yes, getting some recruiting experience, but also, you know, at the JUCO level, you do a little bit of everything and you kind of see everything and, you know, you have to make some, some decisions. It's not, you know, I, you know, Micah makes a lot of decisions that I might think I know what's going on, but those are some tough decisions that he's making on a daily basis. And, you know, once I went from a GA to a full time assistant at JUCO, like, those decisions are on you. And now you're like, Oh, now I see why, you know, those are big decisions and they take time to talk to people and figure out and really consider both sides of it. So, um, but yeah, I went to Indian Hills for, for two years after Iowa state. So at any point, because this is a grind, like it's not, this isn't a, I think a lot of fans are, Oh, well, you just get to go to the gym every day and that's your job. Well, that's, that's true. And that's, that's fun. And that's, but this is a real grind for not a lot of money where you're working stupid hours, you have to sacrifice so much when it comes to a social life and just your calendar sucks because it's nonstop. Was there ever a point where you were like, man, I'm going to get a real job, like enough of this. Um, did you ever think of that or were you like a hooper for life? Man, I was a hooper for life. So, you know, at, a, at, a, at Indian Hills, I was living in the dorms. I had a meal plan. Uh, so I was eating in the cafeteria with all our guys, three meals a day. Uh, living in the dorms with our guys, that whole deal in a tumble. Um, but I don't think it ever crossed my mind. I don't think I was ever like, man, I just want to go get a regular nine to five. And my family owns an antique store back in Michigan. That's been in business for about 115 years. And really, um, yeah, it's been passed along and my dad and uncle run it right now. My brother's kind of in transition, getting ready to take it over. Um, so I think when I first got into it, when I first started coaching at Romulus, you know, me and my dad kind of had a conversation. He was like, I'll fully support you in basketball. Just know, like, if you need a plan B, like there's, you can always come back and work at the shop and, you know, just make sure that if you're going to do the basketball thing, like put your all into it, work your, work your butt off and try to make it work. And, you know, I think that's what he was always very supportive of me, but you know, I, I guess I could always go back and work at the shop, but it literally never crossed my mind because I was so committed to making you know, this basketball coaching thing work. Well, that's, that's huge to have that support, you know, cause like there's just so much uncertainty in your world, especially mm-hmm. when you're coming up the ranks before you land where you, where you have now and to know that you have that support from dad back home, man, that, that had to be really 
I would think critical, you know, during the yeah. tough times. Yeah. Yeah. And it even, I mean, I was at, I actually went to a junior college for the summer before I went to Indian Hills after I was state, uh, Gulf coast state in Florida. And I think it was 18,000 maybe was my, was going to be my yearly salary. And I was, you know, having to make the rent work, living in Panama city, Florida. Mm. And I was driving, you know, I was basically working, you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I had to take none of the guys had cars and they lived off campus and I'm giving them rides and class checks and academics and workouts and all that stuff. So, um, you know, his support was, has definitely been huge over the years, obviously moving. I kind of got to a point where everything I moved, I just put it in my car and whatever couldn't fit. <laughs> I left and I just, you know, there wasn't a U-Haul. There wasn't something connected to the back of my car. Like either it was either in my car or I was leaving it. Um, but he helped me, you know, some of those early moves for sure. That's, that's huge. Tell me before we move on to the next stage of your career, uh, an antique store. So tell me about this. Like, I mean, is it like, uh, that do you, do you go in there and it's just like these old, like artifacts and people buy them or how is it, is it like a trade, pl- like a trade post or what, what do we got here? Yeah. So they have a, a showroom. Um, my dad and uncle, they go over to Spain, France, and England. Uh, probably they used to go over a couple times a year. Um, now they've kind of transitioned the business less from just like furniture showroom and, you know, really nice, you know, armoires or, uh, you know, dining room tables or different things like that. So it's kind of transitioned from a lot of the showroom stuff to more of uh, different auctions. You know, they'll do hmm. Friday night auctions they'll do Saturday kind of, um, you know, specialty auctions and stuff like that. So it's a lot more, they're probably doing one or two auctions every month. They still have the showroom, but, you know, the, I guess the need and demand for, you know, the really nice furniture coming over from Spain and France has kind of gone down a little bit and it's kind of more the auctions and specialty and, you know, people trying to bid and get it as cheap as possible. So you're telling me that they would go overseas and they're just like, they're going over there and basically like recruiting out like wild furniture, like you do basketball mm-hmm. players. Yeah. So I actually got a chance to go over with my dad. Uh, when I was a kid, I went to England once I went to England twice and I went to Spain and France one time. Um, and they just have a couple people, like they have some people in different cities that they'll go meet and they take us to kind of this back warehouse. And, you know, wow. they say, do you want this dining dining room table? We'll give it to you for 500. And my dad kind of looks at it and figures out like, all right, can we flip it for, you know, two grand? All right, great. We'll buy it. You know, and then it's like investing. You know, a month. Yeah. And then a month later, um, you know, he'll send like a shipping company to go pick up all the furniture and then they throw all the furniture into a container and ship it over from Spain and France and England. And, you know, we'll get it, whatever it is, two, two or three months later. So it was neat when I was a kid, I, I used to enjoy it. Cause we, you know, obviously for me, it was more of a vacation. I wasn't really working, but you know, you go to flea markets, you go to different, uh, antique stores over there and you're trying to figure out how you can buy it a little cheaper over there. And, ship it over and, and sell it. It's just crazy. Like there, there's so many things in this world that you don't even know. Like you, you don't think about like that people can do mm-hmm. <laughs> for a living. Mm-hmm. It's, you mm-hmm. know, like it's just, it, that, that's, that's awesome. I had no idea that, that you came from that. Okay. So I, I want to get to now the, the summer of 2019, I think, or eighteen nineteen when you're training the guys in, yep. in Vegas, specifically Niang, I think you trained Naz and Will Clyburn yep. as well, maybe a couple of other yep. guys. So was this like a, a career move where you're like, hey, 
I'm going to move this in a different direction here. I want to be more of like a development coach. Like how walk, walk the audience through where, where you were at in, in this, this career move that you made. Yeah. I think probably the biggest thing, um, you know, for me was just really getting back onto the court and having an impact with player development. I think, um, you know, obviously I had a great experience at the junior college level and I, I did a million different things, you know, travel academics, um, you know, admissions, all that stuff. And, uh, I just kind of had a lot on my plate and I, it was taking away a little bit from kind of like, I guess why I got into it and the love and just being on the court with the guys and having those relationships. So George and Naz, you know, contacted me towards the end of that season and they were kind of going into the off season and it was a big off season for both of them. And, you know, they were like, man, we want you to be our, our personal trainer basically. And, um, uh, for George, basically the entire summer I was with him all off season. You know, he would, he would go home to Boston. I'd fly home to, I'd go to Boston. He'd fly to Chicago for a week and he'd have some, you know, some meetings there. I'd fly to Chicago with him. And I was basically connected to his hip for the entire off season. And you make sure he's working out and that, that type of deal. Like you're staying in a hotel. Fine. I'm getting you up at five. That one of those things. Yep. Yep. And we're, I'm figuring out gyms, whether that's at Loyola or Northwestern or, uh, you know, different gyms and saying, Hey, we can get in the gym at 7am before you have this meeting. And then, you know, we'll go do yoga or something and then we'll figure out another time to get back on the court uh, in all these cities. And we actually started the summer, me, Naz and George lived in a, a house in Santa Barbara for the first month and a half of the summer. Cause they're working out with a company called P3, more of the strength conditioning aspect of it. Uh, so they would do that in the morning and then we'd find a court in Santa Barbara and, and get a workout in the afternoons. So did that get your juices going though? I, I would assume so. Cause then all of a sudden it. you're back in the college game. Well, actually you, you go back to the G league. We'll, we'll get to that. But what, yeah. what was that summer like as far as like rejuvenating you as a coach? It was awesome. It was awesome. Obviously those guys are great to be around, you know, on and off the court. They're great dudes. I had great relationships with them and still do. And um, it was definitely a, a fun experience for me. And it, it felt very impactful from a standpoint of, we're watching film every day. We're really kind of hammering away at some of the details of their game and really trying to help them get better where they can, you know, get that next contract or get signed to a team. Naz was trying to, you know, break in on, and try to get a, a two-way deal or a roster spot at the time. And George was still with the jazz at the time, but uh, it was awesome for me because it was just full time. And, you know, I was focused mostly on Naz and George, obviously when I would be in, Vegas or when I'd come back here and, and different guys, whether it was Monte or Matt or Will Clyburn actually lives in Vegas in the off season. So I would work him out as well. Um, but I, I loved every second of it. It was, it was an awesome, awesome experience for me. Well, I know George gives you a ton of credit when it comes to his success in, in staying in the league and having that staying power. What, what is that like for you when you watch him like in the playoffs and, you know, he's, I mean, he's a guy who, we all, I feel like it's especially interesting though, because George's deal, like when you watched him play at Iowa State, the oh the old man YMCA game, he's unathletic, he can't jump. Now you watch him, he's a pretty good athlete, right? Like it, mm-hmm. I feel like that's got to be cool for you, having spent all those hours with him to see that transformation over the years. Yeah, no question. I think that's the biggest part is seeing seeing someone like him, you know, having to change his game a decent amount you know, to make it in the NBA and, and stay in the NBA and get that next contract. So that's been the coolest thing for me. And then just to see all the hours that he put in, 
you know, with me and also without me. He's, he's also worked with some great other guys, Noah LaRoche, Joey Burton, throughout the years that have really helped his game. But it's just cool because you see how much he's committed to it on a daily basis, you know, with how he eats, how he sleeps, you know, how he goes about living his daily life. And just, you know, to see it pay off for him is is an awesome experience. The You just said eating and sleeping like I think when people think of basketball coaches, they think like, "Oh, they're just drawn up plays." Where did where did that come in? Where you're having to study that because it's totally different, right? Like for a professional athlete, I don't think people realize like how disciplined they have to be. When did you kind of dive into that aspect of training? Yeah, I think it was you know when we started in Santa Barbara because it started with how those guys were eating every single day, and you know obviously I wasn't I wasn't the chef cooking for them. But I, I had to really open my eyes and see see how aware you know I needed to be of it with being around those guys, um, you know. So they had they would have like a meal prep where they every two or three days they would have someone deliver every single meal. So I think you know just seeing their commitment to their nutrition, you know, kind of opened my eyes to you know I'm around these guys all the time. Like it's not just the hour on the court that we're together. Like I need to be there and support them and everything that goes into them being a good basketball player. Have and you, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, have you, have you carry on? Did you have you brought that to Iowa State a little bit? Like, is that an aspect of you as a coach that might be unique to you? Yeah, I think um, you know a combination of that that summer and, and that off season doing the personal training, but then also spending time in the in the G League with the Bucks. Um, you learn about different things and kind of like you know the cutting edge of what's going on at, at the professional level, and you know whether that's you know a sleep doctor, or a sports psychiatrist, or you know, monitoring sleep patterns or, you know, you know, allergies to certain foods, some different things like that. I, I think that's something that, you know, I, me and coach TJ talked a lot about when I was at UNLV and then also here at Iowa state, just kind of bringing those aspects into our program to try to elevate our program as, as much as possible. What is a sleep doctor? So basically someone that just studies your sleep patterns and they kind of tell you like, how you sleep and, and, you know, when you kind of need to go to sleep and when you should wake up. And, um, they're just kind of they're They handle all of your sleep patterns and, and how that needs to go. I need one of these. All right. I, or just don't have a two year old and that that's a decent sleep doctor in its own right. So you land in the G league before you go to UNLV. Um, so I'm so we, we get the G league job. Um, and what were you, you're the video coordinator, but I understand that there's so much more involved in, in those jobs than that. How did you end up in the G league? Why was that a good move for you at the time? So when I talked to a lot of people, you know, at the time I was fully committed to doing the player development and a lot of, a lot of assistant coaches in the G league. Uh, so young, some younger guys kind of were doing the G league because a lot of G league teams, they do six month contracts. So, you know, the, the coaches would basically coach in the G League for six months and the other six months they would find a, you know, kind of a destination, Miami, LA, Vegas, Phoenix, and, and work NBA players out and have different guys from different NBA teams come or pro teams come and work out with them. And that was kind of how they made money in the off season and kind of stay involved. So um, I think once I had started talking to some people, some personal trainers, but also some G League people, you know, they said, hey, if you want to do the personal training full time, you know, I think the G league opportunity is a great opportunity because you can stay connected to people. You can, you know, work on your craft as well during that, during that season and also get experience coaching, but also build relationships with, with agents and coaches and, and different, you know, NBA players as well. So 
I'm assuming during all of this, and this is kind of how we get to where we are now, you're in touch with TJ. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are both relationship guys. Where, when, how and when and why did your relationship with him spark? Because you end up at UNLV and then you're part of the move to come to Iowa State a couple of years later. Walk us through how you and TJ became uh, and had the relationship that you do. Yeah, I mean, he's been a big mentor of mine. I think every every job that I've had or that I've you know been fortunate enough to to get that he's had a part of of helping me get that job. You know, whether it was the two junior college jobs, uh, even you know supporting me with the personal training because I do some training at UNLV uh, in Vegas during the off season. So he allowed me to use their practice facility. Um, you know, even the G League job, and then obviously him hiring me at UNLV. So um, I think from the time that I was a GA at Iowa state is kind of when it really sparked and developed. And I think it kind of, you know, got going again when I was doing some training in Vegas, cause I'd spent a lot of time with him and, you know, we'd pick each other brain on, on basketball, what's going on in professional ranks, you know, college, what's, you know, just different aspects of the game. But I think it, it really started when he was an assistant coach and I was a GA here. Um, and just kind of we're, we're like-minded from the standpoint of we put our all into this every single day. We're committed to the guys. It's not just a, a nine to five when we leave the office and, you know, I'll do it tomorrow morning type of deal. And I think that's something that he always valued a lot. Me is he'd call me at nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, one, 1am, you know, and we'd figure out a way to get it done. And, and that's something that I've always tried to, you know, just be fully committed to, to our players and the program. So he gets the Iowa state job and you get the opportunity to come back what, what was what were your emotions like? Because I, I bring your future wife into the mix. I mean, you've got a lot of connections back here in Central Iowa. That had to be a really special moment. Yeah, no, it was it was super exciting. Um, you know, and, and TJ when he told me he was getting the job, um, you know, he basically sat me down and said, I "Have no idea what I can pay you. Uh, not really sure what your title will be. Uh, it won't be assistant, but it'll be a support staff um, if you want it." jump in your car and drive out. And he basically, I dropped him off at the airport in Vegas. He jumped on a flight. And then the very next morning I jumped in my car, packed it all up and drove out here. Um, and, and it's super exciting. Uh, like you said, my, my girlfriend, Cassidy is out here. We've been doing the long distance thing and kind of making it work. And she's, she's been amazing and awesome and been supportive as I've been following George and around as his trainer. And when I was in G league or when I was in Florida coaching junior college or shoot, when I was in the dorm room in, in a tumble. So she's been awesome and amazing and, and very supportive. So it's cool to, you know, come back and, and her and her family and obviously relationships that I was able to build in Ames and Des Moines, you know, as a GA here, have been, it's been great to kind of rekindle all those relationships and, and see everyone and, you know, get to know even more people in the community. All right. So now you're an assistant coach and, um, it, I think you're an assistant coach of one of the more interesting eras in the history of college basketball. I think that, I mean, you look at this offseason, you guys go to a Sweet 16 in year one, which was insane. Like, I mm-hmm. still, like, have to pinch myself to, like, convince myself that, that, that what we watched actually happened. Um, but you know, the roster turnover, and it, and it kind of just feels like this is just college basketball now. Like, I mean, you're, you're in this, like, transfer portal era of, name image and likeness stuff like that has completely changed recruiting. You're not just going to gyms now like you used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like, I, I think you're a great hire though, because you, 
I like young guys who are, you know, wide open to all this stuff. And like, you're, you're, you're completely adaptable. Uh, what is it like being thrown into the mix? And, and I think, I mean, this is my 18th season going into covering Iowa state craziest off season I've ever witnessed. And you just got tossed into it. What was that like, man? <laughs> Man, it was, it was fun. Like it was, it was, you know, obviously there's a million things going on and, and things flying in different direction. I think, you know, you mentioned being adaptive and I think that's probably the biggest thing is just figuring out ways to continue to push this program forward. But at the same time, every day we might have to be a little more adaptive in different areas. And, and I, I go back to my experience, you know, you mentioned roster turnover, like in junior college, <laughs> we had 15 scholarships at Indian Hills and we were lucky if we had three guys coming back and yeah. we were pulling Juco transfers and D one transfers and D two transfers and a couple of high school guys. Um, so it's almost a little bit like that. And, and in junior college, that's what it was every year. It wasn't like we were, I mean, I don't think we ever returned maybe four was the most guys that we returned when I was at Indian Hills. And, you know, it's not like you had eight guys returning and you're like, Oh, we only need a couple pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely kind of leaned on that, you know, as far as, you know, just different things happening every day and you got to be a problem solver and, and figure out ways to, you know, find new solutions to, to the problems. Well, I, I do think it's interesting too. So like what you guys did last year, like my, I was trying to like glass half full and then glass half empty with it. Cause I'm always going to be glass half full with Iowa state. So I've got to trick myself into being as objective as I can. And the one thing that you did so well last year was getting that group to buy in and getting that group to mesh, and they really – I mean, you had that four-game stretch, but you were right there. Like, the, you know, it was, it, it, there's some weird calls. Like, the, there was – that group stuck together through thick and thin, I thought. And mm -hmm. my, my skeptical lens says, okay, can they do that again with this group of guys? But I also look around now, and everybody around the country is having to turn over their roster like this. So you're really not at a disadvantage when it comes to this. So what um, systemically, like from within the program, what 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 made last year work in that sense, and how do you carry that over to this off season? Because like what's going on right now is building the team. It's not what the fans get to see, but. Mm -hmm. The guys talked about the soccer field workouts and our, our guy Pete just running them through the ringer right now at 5 a.m. How, how, how is that going and how do you – what's the secret sauce, I guess, for the Cyclone program? Yeah, I think it starts, number one, with the guys that we're bringing in. They're low-ego, low high-character guys, and I think that's what we're constantly looking for every single year. And I think, you know, the secret sauce is, is the little stuff that those guys do together as a team every single day. You know, that's early morning breakfast every single day together, dinner every single night together, where, you know, they had, uh, I think they had like poker games or they played cards this past Saturday night as an entire team. So just little things like that, the soccer field, the conditioning, uh, different team activities, whether it's sand volleyball or paintball or different things like that. I think a lot of, a lot of programs talk about culture and family. And I think those are buzzwords that everyone uses. I think the commitment, obviously it starts with coach TJ, but the commitment that him and our entire coaching staff and program has shown to those daily habits is kind of what sets us apart and it is what sets us apart. And it, and it showed last year with those guys being committed to the process, but also committed to one another every single day. And it never wavered. And, you know, they never, it wasn't like they were bringing their phones to breakfast and it only lasted for a week. I mean, it was all year, 
every morning breakfast, they were talking to each other. And obviously the, that helps grow the relationships. And it, I think it directly translated to those guys playing well together on the court. Well, one guy I know you have a relationship with, and we got to have him on our on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. It was uh, Jaron Holmes from St. Bonnet. Wow. A uh, friend reached out to me, and he goes, oh, my God, that guy is like a 60-year-old trapped in a 20-year-old's body. Like, it was – what a mature guy. And, and that, that's what you say, like, the type of guys we're bringing in, like, he he's impressive. Like, he's, he's a guy where – I talked to him for 20 minutes and it's like, he's going to step on campus and be a leader. It doesn't matter where he goes. Those are the type yep. of guys you're talking about. Yep. No, no question. I think I'll start off with Jaron. Cause I'm always poking some fun at him. I don't know if you can research some of his high school pictures <laughs> and to show what his, what his body looked like as a high school senior. Um, you know, I, I've, I've known him for a very long time. And when he was back in high school, I was at Indian Hills. Um, and I was trying to help him get division two offers. Wow. Um, back at, back in Michigan. And we were struggling with that. And it, it's a credit to him and what type of person he is and how hard of a worker he is. You know, he went to prep school, then he went junior college, led that team to the national championship game, goes to St. Bonaventure, has three amazing years at St. Bonaventure. Uh, just, it's a credit to him as a person. And I think he's an extremely hard worker, but he's also a very personable guy. And all of his teammates always love him, and, and he's a guy that's always bringing people together. So did you know Oshun at all, or did you just know him through Jaron once once he became available? Yep, yep. As soon as he jumped in the portal, obviously, he, he jumped in the portal, and me and Jaron had a conversation about him, and, and Jaron was like, man, we, we need to try to get him. He, he'd definitely be impactful to our team, and I think that's where that's where our relationship was start, started as far as me and Oshun. Um. What about the uh, what about the freshmen? How I, just real quick? I don't want to run through the whole roster because we don't have time. But I'm always curious. <laughs> you go from preps to all of a sudden you're getting yelled at by Pete Link on a soccer field at five a. It's a transition. It's a big transition for any young man. How how's this group look so far? They've been good. They've been good. They're all hard workers. They're all again similar to to the rest of the guys on our roster. They're low ego, high character, hardworking guys. And I think you know, obviously, there's a big adjustment going from you know college workout, you know, from high school workouts to college workouts. There's a different intensity and level, and you know, you got to be a little more prepared as far as how much sleep did you get? What you you know, what you eat last night? Did you hydrate? You know, just putting your all into to making the workout great. Um, and I think they've done a great job of of really embracing that on a daily basis and they're all hard workers and they're all great dudes. And, and they've been very, very coachable uh, throughout these first couple of weeks. So with this, we've got a little tiny break for the 4th of July, but then you're on the road basically in July, right? I mean, we, this is when we, this is when the, it really starts to heat up for the next recruiting class. Yep. And we'll have a live period starting July 6th through the 10th. Uh, and then we'll be back the whole the whole next weekend. We'll be back here with our guys, and then uh, the same thing that Wednesday through Sunday, the third week in July. So two big weeks uh, as far as live periods for us going out and seeing uh, seeing potential recruits. It always felt like to me like the month of July is kind of where where programs are made. Do you think that I mean of all your experiences bouncing around these places, is that fair when it comes to? Because if you have a bad July, like in either recruiting or on the ground, like you really are, it, it really hurts. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think obviously there's a lot of legwork that goes into it as far as identifying guys early in the process yeah, and also yeah. 
you know, building those relationships, but it definitely is July is a huge period for us as far as getting out and seeing guys and, you know, really evaluate guys and figuring out who are our guys that, that could come to Iowa state and really be impactful and, and are about the same things that we're about. Well, Schmitty, I appreciate your time. We'll do this again uh, closer to the season and maybe do more of a look at the at the roster and, and, and all that stuff. But I really wanted to give our audience an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And a ton of people will be listening to this, driving to uh, wherever they go for the 4th of July. So thank you, brother. It's, this, has been, this has been a long time coming, and I'm really glad that you're here. And hopefully you guys are here for the next 20 years or so, and we can all retire together. How about that? Uh, awesome man sounds good with me appreciate you having me on man appreciate everything you do for us all right guys fourth of july weekend and uh i'm probably not the best guy to be you know uh out here preaching to y'all about fireworks and whatnot but i listen we don't be idiots that's the key and i bring in my main man dr otis from the iowa clinic uh we're talking urgent care uh y'all will be around dr otis but we we're, we're here to help people so they don't end up in the urgent care. Do you, is it like, is it, my wife's a veterinarian. It's funny. Cause she always says that there's always an uptick in patients after Christmas and Thanksgiving because the dogs all eat off the table and stuff. Cause they're <laughs> all around. Do you guys get an uptick? Like is 4th of July weekend tend to be crazier for you guys? I, I think all the weekends are kind of that way. Whatever emergencies uh, that people have over their family time, they kind of tend to put off, uh, till the next day or the day after. So yeah, we're always a little bit busier after just about any holiday. Um, just cause people realize, uh, maybe I should go get this checked out. Yeah. Um, that, that's the thing. Like when, is there a deal like with the fireworks? When do you go to the urgent care? When do you go to the ER? Is there like a fine line when it comes to that? Yeah. And I think most people would be able to make that judgment call on their own without having a whole lot of guidance. I mean, if it's a very severe injury where you're you know, missing a finger or you have a very severe burn or certainly anything having to do with the eyes, the face, um, anything where you're like, this uh, probably does not belong in a clinic, uh, probably needs to be seen more in the uh, ER. That's, that's a, a pretty easy call to make. And then of course, for more minor things, if you're, you're wanting, you know, some blistered skin or, or, a minor burn looked at. Um, um, those are kind of things that we can absolutely help out in the urgent care. What about sunburns? Do you guys see a lot of people in for that these kind of weekends? Yeah, yeah. Usually they're 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 pretty significant ones that people are coming into the urgent care. Either a, a pretty large area that's kind of cooked, or or some blistery, uh, um, uh, sketchy looking skin. And and again, most of the time um, we're gonna we're gonna preach some pretty basic things, moisturization, uh, you know, aloe vera, um, uh, hydration, just general oral hydration. Some people are drinking plenty of fluids because, uh, when your skin's getting cooked like that, you're, it's pulling a lot of moisture from the rest of your body. So just staying hydrated, uh, in general, but, uh, if it's something you're worried about, um, it, it definitely is worth taking a look at. Um, we're able sometimes to offer some more, advanced care, uh, possibly some burn creams or maybe just some general recommendations on what to look out for. Not often do sunburns get infected. I think that's what a lot of people worry about. They can blister, they can drain, uh, not often infected, but if you're ever worried about it, we'd rather see it than not see it because if it's something we can address earlier rather than later, that's, uh, that's optimal. Yeah, no doubt about that. What are, what's the urgent care situation like right now? Cause I remember back when, um, you guys were, man, it was like in January and it seemed like, 
you guys were just getting hammered, and I felt terrible yeah. for you. Because, I mean, I had to go in there uh, a bunch, and you're always looking to get a COVID test or whatever when, when times were really weird. Nobody could find tests. Has things calmed down for y'all? Because I've heard about the, the hospitals are, like, booked up and stuff right now. What's that dynamic like? Sure, it, it ebbs and flows. We're still seeing a little bit of COVID stuff, though. Certainly nothing like we we're seeing with previous outbreaks, and definitely in, in January and February with the uh, armor variant floating around. We just had a lot of people coming in to get checked, and we're there for that aspect. Luckily, with the availability of the home testing, we're getting a lot of people that are testing at home and not having to come into real uh, negativity. But uh, certainly, if it's uh, you're worried about it, or you want confirmatory testing, or you did test positive and you want some. Uh, advice or maybe some further testing, but we're able to help with that, whether it be chest x-rays or laboratory work or just giving you a good listen and making sure you're doing well. But in terms of access, we have still pretty good access right now. It's, it's been a busier summer, as was last summer, with just lots of cough and cold stuff uh, um, that people are just worried about being COVID and then just everything in between. But access is there, certainly in urgent care. And if it's something where you don't need to be in the ER and you're pretty sure it could be taken care of in the clinic, we'd rather see you in the clinic. Um, the ERs, they're always kind of busy. Um, there's never really a down, down time. But uh, the wait times this summer have been a little bit higher than you'd expect during the summer when it's not really cough and cold season. I can't speak directly to why that is, but uh, even calling down and having to send people from the urgent care, the wait times are upwards six, eight hours sometimes, um, even during the day, during the week, which are typically slower times for them. So if it's something where you're, uh, you think it could be handled in the clinic, we'd, we'd rather see in the clinic. But um, again, common sense prevails. And if it looks like something that you need to be in the ER for, we'd rather just have you go down there and have them address it. Well, go to the iowaclinic.com. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like you wrote this blog a couple of years ago on firework mishaps. Uh, <laughs> don't be an idiot. That's our, that's yeah. our message. Um, Heat-related illness, keep drinking the water, all that good stuff. Anything else, Dr. Otis, before we let you go? Absolutely. Again, there's nothing on there that's mind-blowing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's some links to uh, up through the Family Medicine website, the Dermatology um, Access on the Iowa Clinic website that can give you some, some hints. But, yeah, just the biggest thing is common sense with whether it's fireworks or being out in the sun or, you know, just hydrating well and, and knowing when to be outside and when maybe to, to lay low um, throughout the rest of the summer, not just for the 4th of July holiday, just common sense. Doc, appreciate your time as always. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks to you too. Thank you. Dr. Otis from the uh, Iowa Clinic Urgent Care in Ankeny. All right, guys, that is it for today's podcast. Have a great 4th of July weekend. We'll be around. Later.